0: This Torah portion is Nitzavim, standing. The Torah portion comes from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 29, verse 9, through chapter 30, verse 20. Haftarah from the book of Isaiah, chapter 61, verse 10, through 63, verse 9. The gospel from the book of John, chapter 12, verses 41 through 50. For those reading along with us, utilizing
1: Hebrew for Christians, the Torah portion is Deuteronomy 29, verses 10, through chapter 30, verse 20. And the Brit Hadashah portion is Romans chapter 10, verses
0: 1 through 12. The blessing before Torah study. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctified us with his commandments and commanded us to engross ourselves in the words of the Torah. Amen. The word ha'azinu literally means give ear, an expression meaning listen to this. It is also the name of the 53rd and second to last reading from the Torah. It is the first word of the Song of Moses, which begins with the words, Give ear, ha'azinu, O heavens and let me speak, found in Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse one. This Torah portion is only a single chapter long, and the majority of it consists of the Song of Moses. The Song of Moses is a prophetic oracle warning Israel about apostasy to come and the resulting wrath of God. The song looks far into the future, even envisioning the messianic advent amid rich and frightening apocalyptic imagery. After the conclusion of the song, Moses is told to ascend Mount Nebo and overlook the promised land before dying. The scriptures for Ha'azinu comes from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 32, verse 1 through 32, verse 52. The Haftarah comes from the book of Second Samuel, chapter 22, verses 1 through 51. And the gospel, the Brit HaShar portion, comes from the book of John, chapter 6, verse 26 through 35. For
1: those reading along with us using Hebrew for HebrewForChristians.com, the Brit Shah portion selected there is Romans chapter 10, verses 14, I'm excuse me, Romans chapter 10, verse 14, through chapter 11, verse 12. Um, so let's begin this Torah portion by reading the first few verses, verses excuse
0: me, of Ha'azinu. Here begins the reading. Give ear, O oh heavens, and I will speak, and let the earth hear the words of my mouth. May my teaching drop as the rain, my speech distill as the dew, like gentle rain upon the tender grass, and like showers upon the earth. For I will proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God. The rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. They have dealt corruptly with him. They are no longer his children because they are blemished. They are a crooked and twisted generation. Do you thus repay the Lord, you foolish and senseless people? Is not he your father who created you, who made you and established you? Remember the days of old. Consider the years of many generations. Ask your father and he will show you your elders and they will tell you. Let's begin. That's conclusive reading. Deuteronomy thirty-two verses one through seven.
1: Okay, so what does that last verse uh, remind you of?
0: It speaks to in all of our trials, tribulations, situations, events, what we go through, what we endure, what our life circumstances show for us, it's not a totally unique experience. Sometimes we tend to feel like, why am I the only one that's going through this or that? Why is this happening to me and no one else in all of humanity? There have been others that have striven and got to the other side. Those that have striven, stumbled, and not made it past certain things, you can talk to your fathers and your forefathers and your aunties and your uncles, and they can tell you, how things have gone with them and those that they've known, you can take to me some solace in knowing that that perfecting of your faith, that pruning and that battering of your soul, your spirit, your presentation of Hashem in this world is not something that's just a you thing. You know, our forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they all went through these things. Moses went through these, and everybody goes through these situations. It's not just you. And sometimes getting that perspective of, okay, this is par for the course. I can endure makes a world of difference versus giving up and choosing alternatives that are not pleasing to God.
1: Okay. So the. Uh, Jeremiah 6.16, which is the proof text for the naming of this Torah portion, um, is what comes to mind for me. Jeremiah 6.16, this is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads, crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient past. Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. But you have said, we will not walk in it. So the, the proof text was what comes a few hundred years later with the prophet Jeremiah um, in that what the Song of Moses is affirming and teaching to them as a warning has now come to pass. And he re- reiterates a aspect of this warning in the same things Ask of her fathers. He's like, stand at the crossroads, Acts. look. Ask where the right way is to walk. And you will find that they will pack, they will point you all back to this ancient path. There is no other path besides this path. Um, This is the good way. This is the walk you should walk in. And if you walk in it, you will find rest for your souls. But you in your spirit, your mind, your body, your willingness, your heart has said, I will not do it. And so there also is... A, table talk question that is presented in um, how this begins in Deuteronomy 32, which asks the question, you know, where else does the scripture refer to heaven and earth as witnesses? Because that's what we begin uh, Deuteronomy uh, 32 uh, stating. We we, we begin with these two witnesses give ear Oh, heavens, and let me speak and let the earth hear the words I utter. Um, So where else specifically does this happen? And Isaiah and Jeremiah, both prophets, um, that speak to this particular um, correction of Israel, the the fact that they are going astray. Um, And... One, the, the verse that comes up first for me when I did my search is Isaiah 1 through 2, and it says, Hear, O heavens, and get ear, O earth, for the Lord hath spoken. I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. That's Isaiah 1, verse 2. Um, what is interesting is that some of the rabbis have taught that it, Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 1, um, says the same thing as Moses, but says in reverse. Um, he says, Hero heavens um, and give Eero earth. Whereas in um, Deuteronomy, it seems like it's the same thing, but he says, Give Eero heavens and let the earth hear. So it seems uh, the prophet Isaiah says earth before the heavens, and Moses says heavens before earth, according to how the actual scripture is written. And the reasoning that was stated is that Moshe was closer to the heavens, so to speak. And so he's bringing down, you know, this message from the heavens and is requiring the earth to testify or to witness this. Um, So in line with what we are taught in the our power of the prayer, where we say, you know, as it is in heaven, you know, um, the Isaiah portion is talking more to the earth because, um, he's calling earth to testify and to witness against what has, you can actually say that was already um, given. These are the proof texts. Uh, the, these witnesses, again, uh, are all these like key words that I tend to come up with whenever I hear certain things. the I believe it's the prophet, um, not prophet, but the apostle. um, Apostle Paul says that there's a cloud of witnesses, you know, and what we tend to think these cloud of witnesses are, are just the scriptures or the scrolls itself, the word that has been given to us, but also he has caused heaven and earth to witness against us as to what we've been given. So when we read Jeremiah 6, and it's like, go ask for the ancient pathways. In other words, there's a testimony literally in our history, in the body of the text and these cloud of witnesses in both the earth and heavenly realm that are testifying to this has been given to you so that you would walk uprightly so that you will not falter, that you will not strive as you were, you were saying previously. And the the way that the poetic use of of this song is beginning starts with such very beautiful terms may the discourse come down or my teaching come down as rain you know we're entering sukkot um as we finish reading this torah portion and in sukkot we pray for rain we're praying for um, the rain, the, you know, people say the former and the latter rain, but we're praying for rain and the aspect of the, the descending of rain is for number one. I assume it's for, uh, regrowth and, and beautification of bringing forth things, the good things. What else do you think rain represents?
0: Well, right, needed to Sustain your body, you know, um, you need water to drink, you need water for your crops, you need water for your clothes. It's very necessary across your life, your hygiene, your animals, your plants. Also, oh, it's like cleansing, renewal, growth, as you say. All the above. So
1: my speech just still has to do like the showers on young growth and like droplets on the grass for the name of Adonai, or Hashem, I proclaim, give glory to our God. So, what does that mean to us? Hearing this song, this is the beginning. We have 52 verses in this song of Moses. What is it, the beginning portions of it besides striving? What are we, what is he calling us to reckon with?
0: Hmm. I would venture, I guess, to just sit there and say something along the lines of persistence. You know, you think rain constantly falls to uh, dew. You find on the grass every morning. Showers on young growth. You know, you look out at your garden, you see the, on the little buds, you got little droplets of water. So consistency, persistence. Um, every morning you get up, you'll see these little droplets on the grass. So something that just persists. Mm-hmm. Um. I also see In light of what you
1: are sharing with the persistence or the consistency of it, um, I see a picture as well. Um, I remember we were being taught by um, one of our pastors in the past, and she was talking to us about um, the abundance of what rain represents, like the abundance of, and how... Uh, teaching on John 10, 10, you know, and if you can recall the exact words, cause sometimes I tend to put one before the other.
0: The thief comes but to steal, kill and destroy, but I am come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Correct, okay.
1: I thought I was gonna say it wrong and then, okay. So thank you for sharing that. Um, but one of the things in terms of this abundantly she said in the Greek, it was called the zoe, or the zoe life. And the abundance that God or Hashem has for us is fully encompassing the the sustenance and the needs, not only for today, but also for tomorrow. So sometimes like when you look at the showers on young growth, you may think, wow, that's more abundance than it's necessary. Like, you, you know, there tends to be pools when showers descend. And what is all the necessity for all of this rain, um, for its descent in such a heavy portion? Because Hashem knows what the need is going to be for the season where there is no rain. And the descent of the rain that is mean seemingly heavy, as you were saying, consistency and persistence, is also, He knows what is to come. And He's also knowing as to what is within us, that our needs have not necessarily grown up enough, discerned enough to even be aware as to the need of the seasons that we are going to be walking through life. And so to prevent a need that you can say, well, why don't you just sprinkle it? But he does sprinkle it as well. Because that's the reason that, you know, we get this comparison of, you know, may the teaching come down as rain and my speech distill is to do. It's still, you know, suck it up as, as necessities in small portions if necessary, but may the, the need be filled for the season when it's rest necessary because it's coming down all at once. And I, so I do perceive that sometimes we, in our walk, are encountering situations that we think that we're not prepared for, but God sent the rain first. He sent the rain first. We may be now uh, prepared or aware of the necessity for the rain, but he sent it before the need ever occurred. And so it is that with the children of Israel, that before they are about to enter into the promised land, they are now on the verge or in the cusp of something very profound in the course of human history, in that they are about to receive what Hashem had promised. Never before, if you go through all of the Torah, has a people been prepared for a promise like these people have been getting prepared for it. There isn't there is nothing in the prior books of the, the Torah that talks about hundreds of years of preparation except you can say maybe the, the only similarity is the teaching of Noah that took 120 years. But these people are now receiving in as rain in, in what we now know, know as a 40-year time frame the teachings from Hashem, and it is preparing them for thousands of years ahead of, of maybe the course of their development, their awareness for the necessity of all this rain, the necessity for all this teaching. And yet Hashem knows and he still reigns it, even though he knows that maybe could it have been done in a different season? Could it have been uh, been uh, what's the right word, distilled slower? You know, but yeah, in other words, yes, there was, you know, different seasons, but they all come back to the same heavy shower. So as we begin to or continue to read, I want us to think about rain as abundance and abundance that you can't fully receive in the season that it comes in. Um, And I thought about it because she was talking about Zoe and I remember that that year that she talked about Zoe, it rained for like 10 days. And she said, think about the number of droplets that fall in a heavy rainfall. Can you number them? Can you number the, the vastness of what just fell? And in, in how many ways is that vastness, that abundance, meeting needs that are unexpected, you know, unplanned for, and not even in the, the time frame that is the now, but in the seasons to come? Think of these words that is being taught in this song as just as the um, Torah teaching, summary says, as a prophetic rainfall. So if you would continue.
0: Well, I was looking down at verse 15 because you had a fascinating um, insight into Jesuit and how you mentioned that it was only mentioned a few times in the Torah. Would you be willing to share what you know about that?
1: Um, Can we let's read the exact scripture. So that's verse 15. That's verse 15. So you stopped first at unworthy children, that crooked perverse generation, their baseness has played God false. Do you thus require Hashem or dull and witless people is not this the father who created you fashioned you and made you endure. So I was thinking about, you know, I'll, I'll, we just talked about that. And in safari, they actually break the Song of Moses into stanzas, which I don't know, or they're not only stanzas, but I guess they're, you know, daily readings over the course of the seven days of this Torah portion. But it, it, it that really was a good chunk of check the abundance for the people that God descends it on. And, and I'm going to share, getting to your 15, you know, question of what does that mean and why is that important? What came to me was, again, this thing about abundance and the seasonality of when abundance tends to fall. There was a teaching that I saw, I remember you were looking at, and the uh, pastor that was teaching it was talking about the book of Job and how in the book of Job, Job is sitting in his distress and he is um, going over how, and I'm going to go and get this exact scripture how Job is looking at how um, God operates in the world. And he's talking about how, talking about this word rain, how Hashem sends rain um, to the deserts. Why would Hashem send rain to the deserts? Do you recall what I'm talking about? Okay. All right, so Job 38, 26, um, and it's also stated Job 5, um, verse 10. So Job 5, verse 10 begins, he provides rain for the earth and he sends water on the countryside. Okay. Um, I think this is a a different um, translation, but I'll keep on reading anyway. He sets the lowly on high so that mourners are lifted to safety. And then the opposite of Isaiah, I mean, Isaiah, Job is 38, verse 26, which is in Job 38, 26, it starts from verse 25 and who cuts a channel for the flood or clears a path for the thunderbolt to bring rain on a barren land on a desert where no man lives to satisfy the parched wasteland and make it sprout with tender grass. Who does this? So in Job is asking these questions. In other words, he's asking um, in his discourse with his, uh, his friends that have come to quote unquote comfort him. And he says, Like what type of God, what type of father is this? That he, our father would send rain to a desert. And he sends also the same type of rain to a countryside. We see it in Job chapter five. He's the same one who sends the rain in this area area. He sends the rain in this area. Why does our father tend to send rain to the wasteland? It's a, or the desert, what benefit is rain in a desert? Um, you know, I can literally go to a song mode right now. That was a cue. Um, anyway, for those who don't know, there's a song uh, entitled, I Need You. As I, Is that I Need You? Yeah. And there's a cue that says, as the desert needs the rain. I thought that was the most dumbest thing. But the desert needs the rain. Hashem sends rain to even the desert. And the, in the same context, in the Brit Hadashah, we have... Uh, The word that says he allows the rain to fall on the just and the unjust the same. Why does Hashem allow rain, which is seemingly abundance and a blessing and a necessity, fall on just and the injustice, you know, the same in the same. It's not, is it the same measure or is it just the same? He allows it to happen. It it doesn't quantify the, the amount, but it says he allows this rain to fall in this area. And it, it says, does the rain have a father who gives birth to the dew? You know, from whose womb comes ice then? Who gives birth to the frost from the heavens? This is Job again. And when the waters are become hard as stone, when the surface of the deep is frozen, um, can you uh, bind the chains can, of the pleadings? Can you loose Orion's belt? In other words, who's holding up these stars? Who's holding up the heavens? Who's behind all these things? Who's making the reasoning? For why there's rain in these different arch places and these seasons and the, these different um, occurrences in, under the heavens. Who's setting the dominion, not necessarily only for the, the guidelines for what earth is and what happens on earth, and who is setting the laws by which heaven operates. And if you were to ascend, if you were to give your own reasoning, would you have done likewise? Who is the person who's behind given the reasoning as to how this all operates? And to whom does all of these things report to? Who? And he is literally asking um, these Socratic questions, knowing that the answer to all the whos is Hashem. But the the answer is not in the question, but in the why that we're all searching for. So to go back to your question, you said... um, Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy thirty-two verse fifteen. So let me read Deuteronomy thirty-two verse fifteen. It is part of the third day's reading. So I'm gonna read uh, the two verses that come before it. God set them atop the highlands to feast on the yield of the earth, nursing them with honey from the crag and oil from the flinty rock. Curd of, kind and milk of flocks with the best of lambs and the rams of Bashan and the he goats with the very finest wheat and Foaming grape blood was your drink. So Jeshurun grew fat and kicked. You grew fat and gross and coarse. They forsook the God who made them and spurned the rock of their support. Reading verse 16 as well. They incense God with alien things, vexed God with abominations. They Verse 17 as well. They sacrificed to demons, no gods. Gods they have never known, new ones. Who came but lately? Who stirred not your forefathers' fear? Verse eighteen reads: You neglected the rock who begot you, forgot the God who labored to bring you forth. Now the answer to what um, my husband is attempting to ask me is: What's the the what is Jeshurun? Um, and I, I found it very interesting that in this week's Torah portion and next week's Torah portion, this name kept on coming up. I was like, what is Jeshurun? So I did a, some research. It's mentioned only four times throughout the entire, um, scriptures, not just in the Tanakh, but only four times Jeshurun, um, or the Tanakh then. So you see it, uh, I think three times in the book of Deuteronomy and one time in the book of Isaiah, and it means my bright ones. Am I correct? Okay. Okay, And it's an affectionate name, but isn't it kind of interesting that in the same light that Hashem is saying my upright ones, he's comparing their behaviors to um, rebellion and rebellious acts. My upright ones, look what you've done. And it's a, a name affectionately saying, look, I've called you to be my upright ones. And not in a the scripture that says um, that comes to mind, even here, is Hashem calls those things that be not as though they were, because in the same light as He's teaching the what is to come prophetically in my upright ones, He's literally comparing their behavior as well to their disrespect and disregard for Hashem and His their disregard for being upright. In light of what we just said, of why would Who is the one behind all of these things? Who orders all of these things? Who causes all these things? Hashem knowing that they are going to be uh, disobedient, knowing that they are going to turn to other gods. Hashem knowing still blesses them. He compares yet my upright ones, the one that I've called, the one that I've esteemed. You being my upright ones, you still go after gods that are not gods. You still go after things that are not, in light of the who and why questions that we're all seeking as children of the most high. in some of our daily actions, you have to ask yourself, why did you do that as well? My upright ones, having had this teaching, what made you, your ear itch and your heart turn towards gods that are not really gods and attest to them, the gifts that I've given to you, why would you, you know, literally on uh, in one of the Talmuds, it says burn uh, cut down a tree and burn. Is it um, burn? A, it was actually Isaiah too. It was recently, and it's like um, you know, you cut down a tree, you burn um part of the the tree to to bake bread, and then the other part of the tree you you make your god, and the other part of the tree, you know, it's just like what what made you believe that this is a a, a righteous thing? By what? Virtue did you not discern that it is the same tree that you just cut down that like one part that you're using to to warm and to po- cook your food and the other one that you're you're bending and bowing before? By what understanding did this become a thing for you that you are uh, persuaded in your heart that you are compelled in your heart that you f- should follow after this? And I think the question of the who, is also about the heart condition. Because in Jeremiah 6, 16, where it says, ask your fathers and he would tell you, you know, ask for the ancient past um, and the good way, and so that you can walk therein, and you would find rest for your souls. And the scripture ends. And we said, we will not, and you said, "You we will not, we will not walk in it. What is it compelling us that in our hearts we are so, I don't know, the rebellious, I guess the the word is, or just unsettled that we really decide that, no, I'm not doing it. What is the answer to that? And that's the, that, the, my, my husband just shirked his, his, his head. I'm like, to that, we need to look at the human condition. What really is happening in our, the sin of our forefathers and the, the well, not the, for the, so asking, The forefathers, and having within your heart a decision that I will not obey, do we question ourselves as to why we are so unwilling to bend towards the ancient path, towards the right way, towards Hashem, towards a rule of God or the God I? theology or the God idea, the fact that we are not created of our own um, two hands, that we do not control. And why would we then, unfortunately for those in the age of Moses and the patriarchs in the, 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 the Bible, why would we, and still to this day, we just do it in different ways, create gods of our own making? and then serve them with our lives? What is it that's compelling us to do these things? Have we really believed in our hearts that these things truly are God's? What's behind all of this? And in the same light, why is it that as Moses is giving this this song, that Hashem still calls the people of Israel my upright?
0: That's a tough one to get into. There's a lot of parental teachings, history, um, environmental, that works into all of it. But, you know, if you go down to verse 39, it seems like Hashem is speaking to that very same thought. See now that I, even I am he. And there is no God beside me. I kill and I make it alive. I wound and I heal. And there is none that can deliver out of my hand. For I lift up my hand to heaven and swear as I live forever. If I sharpen my flashing sword and my hand takes hold on judgment, I will take vengeance on my adversaries and will repay those who hate me. So you go through all of that and it seems to me that he's answering all of those concerns that. You've mentioned that they're probably thinking in their head, why not go these different ways? It seems promising. It seems enticing. It seems very near rather than a God in heaven versus a far-off dream or distant promise. And Hashem seems to be saying in verse 39 that, you know what? With all of that, I am still the one that does all of these things
1: and here's the the secret i guess as well and i don't disagree with you yes it is still hashem yeah, yeah, yeah. but it's the secret of what life is about that we are finding in our connection through hashem i do find that when we consider that hashem does all things for the good of them that love the Lord and to those he's called according to his purpose. This is the Brit Hadashah's interpretation, but everything that He, it, the Brit Hadashah is talking about is right here. None of this that is happening in the disobedience of the children of Israel is not for the purpose of exposing to them what's in their heart so that they can finally come to righteous correction so that they can finally come to the awareness of what this life is really all about it actually brings to memory the 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 act of what we call the first sin in the garden and also the the first murder before there was a first mur- murder there's hashem you know appearing before Cain and says you know that if you don't rectify this thing It's for the rectification. All of this is for the rectification, the correction of the relationship, but also the correction of, and the rectification of the human spirit back to its maker. So if you don't, if you don't correct this, Cain, that sin is crouching at the door. Sin is at its essence. It's trying to show you that there is something on the inside of you that is unwilling to honor Hashem. And that's the reason that the first sin even happened to begin with. It was a simple ask. It wasn't even an ask. It was was a command. It was a simple command. Leave this thing. It doesn't belong to you. It is Hashem's. What was so difficult about leaving it alone was there was something in the human nature that decided that it was not willing to rectify. A domain or an authority for what Hashem's word was, and it still happens to this day. But Hashem allows this 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 journey for the rectification of that, so that mankind can come back to, you could say, oneness in Hashem, willing to not only love and be loved by Him, but to do so in, what's the right word? To it's like awe, but it's also uh, a reverence for, a reverence for what he says, because you recognize he's only doing it for what really is your benefit. And if you think about what possibly could have compelled, you know, people say Eve was tempted, but why was Eve tempted? Why did she think that it was good for eating? Why was Adam willing to go along with this? There's, there's something on the inside of us that's just, just as you were to so go back into the the who question, that, trying to figure out Socratically, but this a Socratic method. Why does God operate the way He's operating? Why are we operating this way? Why are we seeking to dishonor Him at almost every turn? When all he acts is, it says close, and this is this is the benefit of this this ending of this particular uh, psalm. What Moses said last week um, in the last portion, Vayelech, I believe that's uh, how it's pronounced, and he says that the Torah portion is not in some mountains; it's not across some wide sea. It is literally in your mouth and in your heart. This is what this is about. It's in your mouth. What you know the 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 psalmist David said that out of the um the heart yeah uh, it's out of the mouth, the heart speaks. I was gonna say that completely in the reverse, or out of the heart comes the issues of life and i I see now where i I have read this before and I did not see it that this is really talking about the issues of what life really is for mankind. we have A battle raging on the inside of us. And Hashem is allowing all of this to bring us back into rectification, back into Akkad. Bringing us back into um, awareness. Helping us to develop, mature. So that when we recognize him as who he truly is, we also find out who we truly are as well. That's... A journey for human beings, both on the individual plane as well as on the collective. We, throughout human history, are still searching for really who we are. Adam really didn't know who he was. Eve was confused as much as she was deceived. But still, do we now know? Are we more aware, having had all these clouds of witness, to point us to the right path? Are we more you know, corrected or uh, or cut in our hearts regarding the word of God, are we more willing to bend to his will because we now have these scriptures that we now know the ancient path? Are we more willing to do what's right? And the truth of the matter is, it depends. For each of us, it depends. Why does it still depend? It's
0: a personal decision.
1: And that's what this all is, that's the rectification of life. The rectification of life is that yes, Hashem wants, you know, relationship with us, but he doesn't want it by virtue of, you know, compelling. Well, that compellingness, that's another word that I'm thinking of. By force, then. Mm-hmm. Um, and this lack of of force in this relationship also does require that we now have to learn, you know, my West Indian um, background comes to mind, where they said you got to burn to learn. And I was like, Dad, that is such a harsh way to learn. can not you just tell me <laughs> instead of the burn to learn? Tell me what I'm doing wrong, so I don't have to burn to learn. But for certain things that are really more the deeper essence of our truth, of our um, our true essence of who we really are, you don't fully appreciate the 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 knowledge or the awareness of, or or um, in Jewish thought the consciousness the dot you know of what that really is until you've actually experienced it and I think even with the um, the sin of what Adam and Eve do in the book it is because they were lacking the space of consciousness to their connection to what they really are. They were lacking that understanding. And Hashem would have given it to them had they just asked for the consciousness of awareness, but they sought to get it on their own. And now we have a a lifetime, a human history of us literally going through cycles of learnings just to come to this awareness.
0: Well, I guess that's why Moses implored them urgently, not only because he knew that, you know, his time on the earth was going to be drawing near, but he knew how deep the consequences were going to be. You know, when you read from verses forty four through forty seven, Moses came and recited all the words of this song in the hearing of the people. He and Joshua, the son of nun. And when Moses had finished speaking all these words to all Israel, he said to them, Take to heart all the words by which I am warning you today, that you may command them to your children, that they may be careful to do all the words of this law. For it is no empty word for you, but your very life. And by this word you shall live long in the land that you are going over the, the Jordan to possess. So it seems as if there's a commonality and theme here where the consequences run deep if you can take hold of this now you can teach it to your children and their children and you can stay on the positive side of the equation versus a negative What would you like to add
1: um I, i there's no ad you're absolutely right uh, to continue with this, we do see in the throughout the story, um, the Song of Moses, um, the connection to Revelations, where the, the scripture says that they will sing the Song of Moses. So what is it really that's happening in the Song of Moses and the scripture that says that they will also sing the Song of the Lamb? So, number one I see the connection in the Song of Moses, as they mentioned before, um, just so that we're clear. Uh, I see the Song of Moses as teaching important lessons. It it talks about what faithfulness will bring. It it talks about um, the power of the Lord. It, It tries to correct what faithlessness and our wickedness, our wicked behaviors. You can think of wicked behaviors as something that starts as a small fruit and it turns. It grows over time, and it predicts the consequences of the wickedness in our own behavior um, and how that literally not only harms us, but it harms our generation, it harms our legacy, it harms the effort that Hashem had outpoured as a blessing um, to us. So even the land itself is uh, bringing forth thistles because of our disobedience. And so, I see in the song of Moses, uh, you can say like the the culmination of the entire story of humankind. You know what is begins in Revelations, and I mean begins in Genesis and ends in Revelations, is culminated here um, in this um, this song, and why? In this song, is it even mentioned in the book of Revelations? Um, And it's interesting that it's Revelation chapter 15, verse three to four. So I'm just going to turn there and I'm just going to read the exact scripture so that we can be all on the same page as to what I am referring to. So give me one moment while I do that.
0: Well, there's only a few more verses left in this part, so we've got a little bit of time to do a deep dive into all of these different topics.
1: Okay. So Revelations 15, verse three to four says, and sang they the song of God's servant, Moses of the Lamb. Great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, King of the nations. Who will not fear you, Lord, and bring glory to your name? For you alone are holy All nations will come and worship before you for your righteous acts have been revealed. Now, let's just say, okay, that you now are, you've lived through these marvelous um, times. You are, you've seen the seven plagues come to pass. You are now standing, as the scripture says, you see the, the sea of glass. You are standing at his throne, and it's now been revealed. It's been revealed. We've been victorious over the beast. We've conquered sin, and it's been revealed. It's been revealed why there is a song in Moses that was given, that explained the trajectory or the history of mankind, that we would would succumb to the evil inclination, that we would follow after the gods and create gods of our own, heart, that we would then reap the fruits of the consequences of our illness in our heart. And then from that illness, we would come to repentance because we recognize the connection between what we were doing and how that has caused us to be where we were. And I choose not to go into all of the, 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 the negative consequences because they are horrific. They are horrific. And if you look through the history of mankind, we do such horrific things, but the horrific things start with the wickedness in our own hearts, the ones that we don't capture, the ones that we don't stop, the ones that we continue to perpetuate, the ones that we think is so small, the ones that we keep on adding to, the ones that we think no one's going to correct us on. We start the wickedness that creates the horrors that become human uh, tragedies and casualties that affect. Hundreds, if not thousands, and for years to come, for years. You're talking about what happened to the children of Israel. We talk about as, you know, uh, descendants of the African slave trade in the Middle Passage, still affected from something that was just, you know, a few hundred years ago, they say. That was just a few, that was 400 years ago. Why is it that you're still affected? That is the aspect of the impact of our sinful nature. And until we come into correction and, and in line with what repentance, true repentance means, and take on not just, oh Lord, I'm sorry, but oh Lord, I wish to correct this now. Oh Lord, I wish to honor you now by recognizing that my behavior created these things. My behavior, and I'm taking part of what the in Judaism they call, um, come on, you know, try to help me with this. What is the word that they call the um the Hebrew for the correction of um, the world, Tikkun tikkun olam. So we collectively are all part of bringing in the world to come in our individual tikkun olam. When we come into awareness, this is before they can sing something, it says that they became It was revealed to them. Hashem shared what has happened throughout human history in the Song of Moses and throughout the Song of the Lamb. And it's been revealed finally to us that it was our partaking in something that literally was individually and collectively harming not only ourselves, but our relationship with Hashem. That we're like, that's why we can sing it now. I see why you allowed it to happen. I can see why we went through such things that we went through, because if you had not allowed it, we would not have learned, we would not have come to the awareness of our connection to both you and to each other in our individual responsibility to love one another as we know, first of all, to love you with our whole heart and with our whole soul and with all our might. We would not have come to the awareness of what that really meant as it pertains to how we would think. You're talking about the consciousness that Adam and Eve was missing. They would have gotten it if they had walked out the first command, which is the command to love God with your whole heart and with your whole mind. The consciousness of the way that I love you is going to show up in how I do the things that I'm supposed to do in this world. If I lack, uh, and, and, uh, the, the, this past week, uh, someone mentioned the hub and the spoke, if I'm, if I need to literally operate. As a you know, wheel within a wheel, I have to have to have a center of you know centrifuge. You have to have a center that we're all operating in. But when I decide that I'm going to go left versus from the source that is going right, I'm creating acts of chaos that impact everyone and everything else around me. But when we operate together, when I come into unity, when I come into loving the Father, my consciousness is revealed how much better the unity is how much more fruitful the unity becomes and how that that fruitfulness from me being connected to my source impacts not only myself, but it impacts those around me. I'm mean, more able, I'm more capable of being patient with you when you're not necessarily going the right way because I recognize I too have done that because I, I recognize I did it because I wasn't aware. I asked the questions of the whys, but the why really is in you becoming aware of your relationship and your connection with the source, the source of life, the source of all things. And this this journey that, you, that they say, great and marvelous are your deeds, O oh Lord God Almighty, and just and true are your ways. How could he be just and true? What is truth? You know, said Pilate, what is it? And that's what I, I ask of you today. Is truth something that is, you know, based on the day or is truth a person? Is truth the entity that, or the thing that we call God? And if it is God, then I'm telling you, we are missing the mark on, a, on an ongoing basis when we think that our little infractions, our little misgivings and missteps don't impact our relationship with Hashem and it impacts each other. Because if he's just and he's the truth, it's doing a world of harm when we don't try to correct those things.
0: To that.
1: So who will not fear you, O Lord, and bring glory to your name? For you alone are holy, and all nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. And after this, it I looked and I saw in heaven the temple that is the tabernacle of the covenant of law, and it was opened. And out of the temple came the seven angels, and with the seven plagues. And so you know that this goes into um, the four living creatures. Um, gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls filled with the wrath of God who lives forever and the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God from his power and no one can enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. So some people talk about the seven angels' messages but do you recognize before the seven angels' um, message or the the bowls of the wrath are poured out that the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb is sung? In other words, there's a there's a remnant in the earth that recognizes what God has been doing, and they begin with the awareness of their collective consciousness because they're now connected to Hashem in the way that we ought to be, and they are ascribing greatness, and also submission to His just and true ways. I don't know if we we sometimes perceive that sometimes justice. Which is the, um, the the statement that we have on, up on the board? I don't think I have it here any longer. But it says, "Justice, justice shall only you pursue." The justice sometimes also is an act of compassion as much as it is an act of judgment, and both operation op, both operate can operate and need to operate in a system where there is agreement with a code of law. So this is literally saying that there's a group of people that are singing this song that have come into the code of law for the just and the true ways of Hashem to be made manifest in the world. That's how we finally come into awareness. We come into awareness by honoring Hashem, giving glory to him, but also ascribing to him the the code of law that he um, was outpouring to the children of Israel in the Torah. In the Song of Moses. It's like I put it in your mouth and it's in your heart. If you seek me with all your heart, you'll find me. If you call upon me, I will answer. What we are looking for as people ascribing darkness and dearth to the earth is or death. You know, this is what I mean by dearth. Just just all manner of evil and all manner of, you know things that are not ascribed or are not aligned to life. What Hashem is looking for is a people that will seek life and life according to the rule of God. And in the Song of Moses, that's how it ends. It ends with um, a, a people coming to that awareness. Would you like to read the, the end?
0: Uh, last few verses speak of um, the foretelling of Moses' death. Verse 48, now very every day the Lord spoke to Moses, go up this mountain of the Abarim, Mount Nebo, which is in the land of Moab, opposite Jericho, and view the land of Canaan, which I am given to the people of Israel for possession. And die mm-hmm. on the mountain, which you go up, and be gathered to your people, as Aaron, your brother, died in Mount Hor, and was gathered to his people. Because you broke faith with me in the midst of the people of Israel at the waters of Meribah Kadesh in the wilderness of sin, and because you did not treat me as holy in the midst of the people of Israel, verse 52, for you shall see the land before you, but you shall not go there into the land that I am giving to the people of Israel. That's it.
1: Okay, that's the end of the reading, for right. the. but that's not the end of the song. The song actually ends in... Um, verse 43, and that's that's where the song actually ends. So um, the last lines of it, it's all nations acclaim God's people for he will avenge the blood of his servants and wreak vengeance on his foes and cleanse his people's land. That's how the actual song ends. Um, and it says that he taught it to Hosea, son of Nun, which is Joshua. And he recited all the words of this poem in the hearing of the people. And when Moses finished reciting all these words to Israel, he said to them, take to heart all the words which I have warned you this day and join them to your children that they may observe faithfully all the terms of this teaching. For this is not a trifling thing for you. It is your very life. Through it, you shall long endure in the land that you are to possess upon crossing the Jordan. That is the cry or the call. Just as much as the Song of Moses is saying, remember these words, teach them to your children, and ensure that that this is not a, a little thing. This is not something that should you should put on the, uh, up on the shelf and let it collect dust. This is your very life. So, too, has the Book of the Lamb or the Song of the Lamb given us a pathway to life as well. Um, And I I do find that with the Song of the Lamb, because there is no text in the Bible that says, oh, this is the Song of the Lamb. Like, who teaches us these words, the Song of the Lamb? I do, I'm not a Jewish sage. I don't necessarily know how many different books that may be ascribed or linked to this, but I do know this. I do know that when what Hashem gave to us through the birth death, and life of his only begotten son is pathway to abundance, the Zoe life. And just as the rain falls from heaven and it does not return to but it goes forth and it accomplishes that which it for which it, it was sent, so too will the word of God go forth and it will accomplish the word to which it was sent. And because Hashem, the son, the only begotten son, the lamb, came to redeem the whole house of Israel, that is what it will accomplish. It will bring forth total redemption to the total whole house of Israel, those naturally born and those engrafted. May we be willing to hear, to honor, and to do what Hashem has called us to in this season. Amen. Amen.
0: Thank you all for listening to this podcast episode. I would like to encourage each one of you to continue the dialogue with us. Your feedback and support keeps us going. So please like, share, subscribe on whatever platform you're listening to and dialogue with us. We're building out our social media programs and we're completing the website beturn.rest. We'll be online soon. So be in touch on those developments as they're coming up and continue the conversation with us. For the closing prayers, we will do the etzkayim, known as the prayer to return. Etzkayim hi la maka zikimba v'tom mekeha usha da take noam v'kol nivoteka. Shalom. Ha'shi benyu Adonai elekeka It is a tree of life to those who take hold of it, and those who support it are praiseworthy. Its ways are ways of pleasantness, and all its paths are peace. Bring us back, Lord, to you, and we shall come. Renew our days as of old.